everything we did this morning is about the gospel. From, from right there in the baptismal, that was about the gospel. Talking about Christmas in October and our missionaries throughout the world, they're giving the gospel. Next week's missions conference will be about the gospel. Uh, Fall festival is about the gospel. The gospel, it is of huge importance. And so, so today, that's what we're focusing on as we continue our study in Philippians. Now, I want you to, to do a little imagining with me. I'm gonna need some participation here. I want you to imagine that, that you are Grace Life Church in Alberta, Canada. And I am the pastor of that church, James Coates. And because Canada had come up with some very restrictive COVID, uh, COVID restrictions, uh, I, James Coates, decided that we were not gonna close our church down, that instead we would continue to meet. Well, as a result of that, the government came and, and put a, a fence around our church so nobody could attend, and they came to my home, and they pulled me out of my home, left my wife and children there, pulled me out of the home, and put me in prison. And my official statement was this, I am not a political revolutionary. I am simply here in obedience to Jesus Christ, and it's my obedience to Christ that has put me at odds with the law. Now, you are the congregation. You, you get to talk now. What are some of your concerns? Speak it out nice and loud so I can hear it. I'm part deep. What are your concerns? Freedom of religion? Government overreach? Yes, Francis? Freedom of speech? Persecution? Tyranny on display, I heard something over here, Tammy. The right to congregate with our fellow believers. Doesn't anybody care about me in prison? Don't you have any concerns? They're praying for me, all right. Good, let's look for another pastor. Oh dear, all right, all right. Well, that didn't go over like I planned it anyway. Oh, that is good, great participation. Now I want you to imagine another thing. Now you are the Philippian church, okay? The church that meets in Philippi, which is located in Macedonia area, all right? So, so you're there and I'm Paul. I came to bring the gospel to you. You heard it for the first time. You responded to the gospel. And then there's been this, this little girl who's been kind of, kind of um, uh, aggressive to us. And it was obvious that she had a demon. And so I cast the demon out of her, which means that she can no longer speak the future. Her two masters, the people who owned her, are now upset with me because they can't make money off of her ability to tell the future. They start some trouble, and before you know it, I and my friend Silas, my partner in the gospel, are thrown into prison. We're beaten, we're bloody, we're exhausted, we're, we're in prison. It's around midnight, and Silas and I are just quietly singing hymns together. Suddenly, the Lord breaks through, breaks open the prison doors, 
we're able to escape. The jailer comes with us and takes us to his home and he becomes a believer and his family becomes a believer. The next day, I'm back with you and you're rejoicing. But now here we are 11 years later and you get the report that I'm in prison again. But there's been no miraculous escape. I've been in prison for months, even more than a year. And you just keep hearing the, the report, Paul's still in prison. There's no miraculous escape. What are you thinking now? What questions might you have with that? It's your turn. What's God gonna do with me in prison? Good, what else? How you doing? Thanks. <laughs> what else? Yeah, Francis. Yeah, he was in for a few years it wound up being that. Yes, over here we had something. Is he dead? Is Paul, did Paul die in prison? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I, um, I, I wonder if they were concerned, like, is this gospel real? Gee, it worked the first time he got out of prison. Why, why didn't he get out this time? Did God forget about him? Is he really done with Paul? As we, as we look at Philippians today, I'm gonna to ask you to open to chapter one. We're not going to have the scripture up for you today, so get your Bibles out, your phones, open up to chapter one in Philippians. Last week we talked about the, the intro, introduction and the prayer that Paul prayed for them. So today we start the body of the letter where Paul begins to write what his concerns are. And as we read this today, you're, you're gonna hear that there's this underlying purpose that Paul has to reassure them. And to answer the question, why hasn't God rescued me this time? Why did he do it the first time? But why not this time? So let's read together chapter one, verses 12 through 20. And I'm just gonna open to that myself here. Now, I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater purpose of the gospel, so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else and that most of the brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife, but some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness, Christ will even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Oh, Paul, by the inspiration and the power 
of the Holy Spirit was able to write those words. You notice what he said, that his circumstances have had a purpose, and that purpose was for the greater purpose of the gospel. So many times you and I get stuck in our circumstances. We get stuck in the situation we're in. We become hyper-focused on whatever it is that has us down, whether it's a, a difficult person or that inconvenience or the pain that I'm suffering or discomfort, the annoyance, any trial. And we focus on that and nobody likes trials. We're not supposed to like trials. The Bible never says smile at your trials, right? Bible never says just enjoy them. That would be asceticism. And that goes against the gospel. We don't earn anything by going through difficulty with Christ. We don't earn anything by way of salvation by going through difficulty. But you see, God has a purpose in everything that comes into our lives. There is nothing that escapes him. There is nothing that isn't used by him. There is nothing that comes in our lives that he does not redeem for his purpose of the gospel. You know, think about imprisonment for Paul. Paul's desire was to preach the gospel. That's what he was all about. He wanted to preach the gospel. In fact, he wanted to preach the gospel to the very ends of the earth. So now here he is in prison. And forget the, the physical discomfort of being cold and chained in prison. He's, he's literally chained to a bodyguard most of the day, if not all of the day. Forgetting all that, just thinking about his purpose, Imprisonment must have seemed like a great inconvenience. Lord, I, I wanna preach for you. I wanna take your gospel to the next city and the next city. In fact, I wanna work my way all the way to Spain. Why Spain? Because it was truly the end of the earth. The end of the known earth at that time for Paul was Spain. His heart's desire was to bring the gospel to the Spaniards because he knew the Great Commission that God had called him to go and make disciples of all the world, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that Jesus commanded. To the ends of the earth, Paul was wanting to go. What a noble, noble purpose. You know, he wasn't going to Spain to have a vacation in Barcelona. He was bringing the gospel to people who would persecute him. He knew the Great Commission. And he knew he needed to go to the edge of the continent. But God put him in prison. What a hitch in his plans. This was definitely a misstep. Surely it was. And we wonder if maybe Paul was asking God about that. Lord, how does this fit in? You called me to preach the gospel to the Gentiles throughout all the world. How does this fit into it? You know, Paul doesn't really seem to be concerned about that. In fact, in this book, in what we just read, he tells us why. He says that the circumstances have literally turned out for the greater purpose of the gospel. His plans were not as important as the gospel. Paul had a clear call to preach the gospel, but he understood that his plan and his circumstances were all under the sovereignty of God. And God was going to use Paul's plans and Paul's circumstances to further the gospel because that's God's heart, to further the gospel. So we've said gospel probably 100 times already this morning. What is the gospel? 
What is it? Well, first of all, it means good news. And it's not a typically Christian term. At the time, it was actually used by Roman generals. When a Roman general would come back from a conquest, he would declare the gospel, the good news that a conquest has been made, which means that now the citizens are no longer under threat from what he had just conquered. The citizens are now under the control of Caesar and in Caesar's control, they have peace and stability. The citizens can know that, that they have gotten new territory. All of these things came from the gospel when a Roman gem general would come home and declare the gospel. And part of that declaration was to declare a day off. Everybody got a day off in celebration of this new conquest. So you can certainly see the connection to Christ. But there's an irony when Jesus use it, uses it because the gospel is that Jesus died. Wait, the good news is that Jesus died. Well, how is that good news? We have to finish that sentence. Jesus died, he gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us from this present evil age. There's the good news. The good news is that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. The good news is that his punishment brought us peace and we are healed by his wounds. The good news is that he bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and be raised to righteousness. That's what we experienced here in baptism, what we show, that we die to our sin and are raised to new life in Christ, which is righteousness. By his wounds, we are healed. See, it's good news that Jesus died because of what it did for us. We were caught in our sin. We were chained by our addictions. We were suffocated by our pride and our arrogance. We were grieved by our fear of death. And Christ's death freed us from all of those things. Our enemy has been vanquished, just like when the Roman conqueror would go out and vanquish the enemy. Our enemy has been vanquished and no longer has the power to use those things against us. He has brought us from death to life. And that life is abundant life. It's true life. It's real life. If you are here and you don't know that new life, you are living in death. You are walking death. But if you are in Christ, you have been given, been given new life. And that is abundant life. And that life is for all eternity. It is eternal life. You see, when Christ died, he died to take on new territory. What we heard this morning was new territory people who gave their heart and lives to Jesus Christ because he died for them. Every one of us believers is new territory for Christ. And as, as the gospel goes out from this church and from other churches that are preaching the true gospel, new territory is being gained for the kingdom. And Paul had been chained by, changed by this gospel. You see, Paul, think about him. Before he followed Christ, he was out to extinguish Christianity from the face of the earth. He believed it was his God-given purpose to, to exterminate Christians, to get rid of them, because this was a threat to the Jewish nation. He believed that's what God would have him to do. And then the risen Jesus Christ met 
Paul on the road to Emmaus. And on that road, Paul heard the gospel, the good news that his sins were paid for by Jesus Christ on the cross. You see, and that's what the gospel is all about, that Jesus died on the cross for Paul, for you, for me. He died on the cross. And so the question for you, and you can participate in that, what now is Paul's purpose in living? What would you say it is? Preaching the gospel. Tell people about Jesus. Yes, absolutely. I would say the same thing. And as I I spent time in Philippians this, this week, I thought, you know, I think it's even more focused than that because whether or not he's preaching, Paul's purpose is the gospel. Just the gospel. Whether he's whether his mouth is open or not, he is about the gospel. His one desire is the gospel, which means that when you, for you and me, when, when our one desire is the gospel, it means that in every circumstance, the gospel is more important. Through every trial, the gospel has bearing. Through every relationship, the gospel is being used. In, in the face of every opposition, the gospel will stand, the gospel. Paul says it this way, that his circumstances have turned out for the greater purpose of the gospel, so that his imprisonment in Christ has become well known throughout the whole guard and everyone else. And at the end of the letter, he says, "I, I send you greetings. All the brothers and sisters in Philippi send the greetings, especially those of Caesar's household. So the gospel even not only affected the guards in prison, can you imagine being chained to Paul, what you were gonna hear? the gospel, right? But not only affected the guards in prison, but affected all of Caesar's household. You see, it's like this. God wanted to bring the gospel to prison and he brought, Saul, he brought Paul with him. God wanted to bring the gospel to Caesar's household and he brought Paul with him. What a perspective. What a perspective Paul had. You can't keep a man like this down. There's nothing that matters outside of the gospel. Bring what may, as long as the gospel is going forward, as long as the gospel is getting more territory, I'm okay with whatever happens. You know, in 2 Corinthians, Paul says that he faced beatings and hardship, nakedness, famine, thirst. He was whipped 39 lashes five times. He was shipwrecked. All of it for the gospel. Puts it all into perspective. All of those things kept the gospel foremost. You see, he had one purpose. That was the gospel. In verse 14, he also says that most of the brothers and sisters in Christ have far more courage in speaking the word of God without fear. So imagine how afraid they might have been knowing that Paul, the the primary preacher, the the man who brought the gospel to them, was in prison now. Does this stuff really matter? What's gonna happen to us? Paul's in prison. Are we gonna get in prison too? Because, Because we're about the same gospel? What if what if this is all a hoax? What if none of this really matters anymore? Maybe it's not worth it. But you see, what was happening as the brothers and sisters were hearing 
about Paul's imprisonment, they were emboldened to speak the gospel more boldly. They were empowered, they were encouraged, given the courage to speak fearlessly with the gospel. So I think about myself, you know, um, when I first heard about James Coates and then there was another pastor in, um, in Canada that was arrested and got a lot of publicity, when I first heard about that, I thought, wow, what would happen with us if that occurred here? And even more selfishly, how would I handle that? How would I handle it? But as, as I heard about them, how they stood in the face of opposition, how they, they received the threat of censorship and would not be quiet with the gospel, how they were falsely accused of civil disobedience, I was encouraged. And it made me stand stronger for the gospel. It made me preach more boldly. It, it spoke to me and said, no matter what, the gospel. That's it, the gospel. Come what may, the gospel. That's got to be primary. So do you need courage in speaking the gospel? Look at Paul, read Philippians. You'll gain courage from it. Read the book of Acts and look at the acts of the apostles, how courageous they were in the face of opposition, in the face of death threats. They spoke the gospel with joy. They didn't care about those things because the gospel was so important. The change that Jesus had done in their lives was all-consuming. Read the book of Daniel, who stood in the face of, of government oppression and government opposition, I hope we're gonna study Daniel in the new year. I'm looking forward to spending time in prophecy and, and seeing his, his steadfastness against the government that was oppressing him. Go to our library, read books about Luther, about Bonhoeffer, about Frederick Douglass, Amy Carmichael, Corey Ten Boom, or Brother Andrew, or Christian Brother Yoon. They, they, they've got plenty of biographies in there. You need courage? Go read one of those. You'll be amazed. Every time I read one of those, I love to read biography. Every time I read one, I think, yes, it's what I want to be. That's what I want to do when I grow up. That's how I want to act. I want to have that courage that they had, and they were just normal people. That's the thing. Every one of these people are just normal people, but their circumstances called them to be bold. For what? The gospel, right? The gospel, absolutely. You know, we all need to be emboldened. You were saved to a church. When Jesus Christ saved you, he didn't just save you because you needed salvation. He saved you to this huge global family of believers that meet in local churches. And here you are today. You're meeting here in local churches. And so I say we need to be emboldened and we need one another to embolden us. We cannot be isolated. We cannot be loner Christians. If you are, you will wither. Pull, the, pull the, uh, the ember away from the fire and it will die. When the ember is in the fire, it glows and it gains strength, right? And that's what happens when we come to church. And I'm saying that to a post-COVID generation who learned very quickly that it's very convenient to be at home. 
and who actually have come to believe that staying at home, the convenience of staying at home, outweighs the benefit of fellowship. Brothers and sisters, you cannot stay at home and be a strong Christian. The enemy has used that. It is a lie from Satan to convince Christians to stay separated and grow weak because the weaker we are, the stronger he is. So brothers and sisters, come to church. You're here, I'm preaching to the choir. But if you're watching online, come to church. I realize there are some who can't get here. I am not talking about that. But I'm talking to a generation that's making a decision to stay away from church. You know that in, in millennials, that the church attendance is, has been cut in half among millennials since COVID. Get back to the fellowship. You need it. You cannot survive without being a part of the fire. There is a fire growing and glowing here. And you want to be a part of that fire, you've got to be here and a part of that fire. That prayer. Well, let me let me let me back up a little bit. In 15, and, and 15 through 18, Paul says that some were preaching out of envy and selfish ambition. What then, he says, only that in everything, whether by pretense or truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in this I rejoice. So somehow people were preaching the gospel in pretense or with false motives, with envy, with strife. And I don't think he's talking about false teachers there because as you look at the rest of the letters of Paul, the writings of Paul in the New Testament, anytime he addresses false teachers or incorrect doctrine, he is strong and bold and will not tolerate it. Every time that comes up, he is brutal on the false teachers. Anybody who has added something to the gospel or taken something away, he is aggressive and says, no, that is not the gospel. You know the gospel that was preached. Return to the gospel. So these people must not be speaking the false gospel. They are speaking the true gospel, but they're doing it with ill motives, probably jealousy. They're probably thinking, oh, finally, Paul's in prison. Now we can get a little bit of fame. Now maybe we'll get a following. Maybe we'll get some attention in preaching the gospel. So the lesson here is that preachers are subject to that. And I'm asking you to pray for the preachers of this church I'm asking you to pray for your Sunday school teachers that we don't fall into that, that pride game. Our desire is that th what happens most through our preaching and teaching here is that we marry the gospel to God's people. God's word to God's people. And may nothing, may no jealousy, may no rivalry stand in the way of that. But we need you to pray for us in that. And that also needs to be a prayer for all of us, for ourselves and for one another. You see, if the gospel is as big as it is, if it's as paramount as it should be in our lives, if it's as all-encompassing as it should be in our lives, then everything else will fall into its proper place and perspective. You see, if you are all about the gospel, then every relationship, the good ones and the difficult ones, every relationship is a bridge for the good news of Jesus Christ. 
If you are all about the gospel, then people's ill motives or people's threats or people's censorship will be powerless to frighten you. If you are all about the gospel, then the future, the scary future, will be an opportunity for the gospel to keep working that, and to know that God will use everything in your life for his greater purpose of the gospel. And again, this is what we saw here in baptism, where people who were saying the gospel is primary, paramount in our lives. In verse 20, He says, according to my earnest expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything, meaning even prison can't shame Paul, but that with all boldness, Christ will even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or death. See, believer, death has no sting because of the gospel. If the gospel is most important, death will have no sting. I was saved in the 70s, and if you are my age and were saved around that time, you know the primary motivation for speaking the gospel was guilt, right? How many times did we hear, if you don't tell them, how will they know, right? Guilt is a horrible, horrible motivator. And I'm afraid that some of you oldies, yes, I'm included in that, some of you oldies are still bearing that guilt. Can we let that go today? That guilt is not a motivator. What's the motivator? Christ changed your life. Think back to what you were. Think back to who you were and how Christ grabbed a hold of your life. And don't you want to share that? Isn't that an exciting thing? Aren't you excited to see lives changed by the gospel? And for you younger ones, my concern is that that the gospel isn't even important. You think, does it really matter? Is it really an issue? Is this just something we do? We, we, we get together, we, we have our family, this is what our family does, it's sort of that, our, our, our identity. The most important thing in life is the gospel. Now, that doesn't mean you should go and quit your job and become a missionary, though, if you're called to that, do it. God will bless you and honor you. It doesn't mean you need to change your relationships and stop being friends with unbelievers. No, no, build those relationships. Those are bridges, right? It doesn't mean you have to stop being who you are. But if we can integrate the gospel, the good news, it's good news, the good news about Jesus, make it our primary motivation. It's it's number one in our lives. Then nothing will have the power to shame you not even prison. Nothing will be able to shut you down. Nothing will be able to stop you up or put a hitch in your purpose. Let the gospel be primary. Oh, may the Lord, may the Lord grant us the importance of the gospel today. So stand with me. Stand with me now. Let's stand together. Are you willing to stand for the gospel, not being afraid of what will happen, but submitting that, knowing that God will use every circumstance, threats, health, inconvenience, relationships, whatever. God will use every one of those things in your life for the gospel if you submit to that as your number one purpose, number one goal. My prayer for this morning is that not one of us leaves without feeling the weight and the importance 
of the good news of Jesus Christ, that he died on the cross for your sins. If you're here and that is not your reality, come and talk to me afterwards. I would love to pray with you and introduce you to this new life, the only hope you can possibly have. And for the rest of us who have that hope in our lives, can we live with that hope? Can we let that hope be so big and so paramount that it's all we live for, the gospel? Oh Lord, bless this people with the gospel. Bless them with hearts of passionate following. Oh Lord, may, may you be all important in our lives. Let us not take one step out of this building without feeling renewed in purpose by the gospel. Give us strength and give us the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.